it was like I knew 100% that he had that spark, that faith that I was looking for, that he knew a truth. He 100% was filled to the brim with faith and with knowledge. Hello and welcome to the Bishop's Office. Today I have another conversion experience for you, this time with Yasmeen Jackson. I hope you enjoy it. Well, thanks for catching up with uh, me this evening, Yasmeen. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about your conversion experience. How are you? I'm okay. I, I, uh, I came home with wet feet because it's raining outside, so I've got my nice warm socks on. I feel better. <laughs> Good stuff. Now, um, I caught up with you, uh, I think, a couple of months back, back um, just as COVID was starting, and you talked to me a little bit about your conversion experience and wanted to revisit that. Um, talk to me a little bit about your childhood. Where does this story begin? Well, I was born in Wayala. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and, you know, my parents lived in a caravan, didn't have water or anything like that. So we had it was a communal laundry that they all shared and when I was born my mom was using cloth nappies in Wayala with a communal laundry it was pretty rough um but my dad's brother and his wife lived there so they were a great support to my dad uh -huh. and I think my mom hated it uh like a lot because her family lived in the United States and they decided to go to Lebanon for a little bit like six months and then immigrate to America for a while. Mm -hmm. So I is your dad Lebanese and your mum American or are they both no, Lebanese? What's the story? My my parents come from the same family line mm -hmm. in a small town in Lebanon. Okay. So they're they're related, like mm -hmm. cousins. Um so my family's a bit interesting because my family tree doesn't look like everyone else's. <laughs> you know <laughs> it just doesn't. It's got fewer branches. It's, it just goes, it, it has a bottleneck. Uh -huh. <laughs> it goes back out again. Cool. Um, so the family decided to move back to Lebanon with the intention of immigrating to the US, you were saying? Well, they just wanted to see family, um, make sure that family who had, had met me. I'm, I'm one of the first grandchildren mm -hmm. born in my family. Um, and then when I was about four, mm -hmm. went back to Lebanon for just over six months I went to kindergarten there and I got in trouble a lot it was a culture shock for me mm. the school system the way it was but you know and I would tell people all sorts of stuff about my family that wasn't true because people would ask you know in Lebanon they always ask you who's your family where you come from what you know ask about you and because I was too young to understand my family's relationship to each other mm. I said because I knew my mom, she had four sisters. And my dad had, you know, so many brothers, I couldn't even count. Mm. And I said, yeah, I'm come from the family where all the sisters married all the brothers. <laughs> <laughs> all my dad, my mom's sisters married all my dad's brothers. That's what I would tell people. I like all sorts of weird things. So I, so I didn't speak English when I went, in, went to America. And so I did kindergarten like twice. So I did in Lebanon when it did it again in America. Mm -hmm. Still didn't really have good enough English. Uh, so you had to do year one again. But when I was in the United States, I was in very racist towns. Well, what part of the U.S. did you live in? Um, when we first got there, it was Atlanta, Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, and then we moved to Virginia. 
what years were these? Was it in the 70s, 80s? What, yes, what? it was. Hmm. Early 70s, yep. Okay, yep. Yeah, it was pretty bad because still um, I was the only kid of colour in school, mm-hmm. in my schools, because my parents didn't see themselves as um, needing to comply with, like, their social norms in America. So they didn't move into um, towns that had Lebanese people or towns that had black people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would just move into the town where they work, where my dad's work would be. And uh, my dad was a limousine driver. Okay. At first. He drove and became friends with a lot of really very famous people. Mm-hmm. It was a very uh, strange life. Like my dad's friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> uh, it's, it's weird, right? Mm-hmm. And um, Gary Coleman and things like that. You know, those are odd people to know. And, and Charlton Heston. Mm. Those are weird people to know. Yeah, for sure. What was home life like? Um, did you have um, a religion in the home? I was told what my religion was, uh, mm. but there wasn't anything practical I could do with it. They didn't go to a church because our religion, it doesn't function so well outside of Lebanon. They're Druze, which is an offshoot of Muslim. Okay. And so it's an old religion, very old. From the Bible, um, Saul, you know, Saul, who was in the Bible, he's the one who started our religion. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So fast forward a few years. Um, talk to me about the events that led to your ultimately meeting the missionaries. I think they knocked on your door in the end, wasn't it? They did knock on my door. Um, I was very, very alone. I'd had a relationship with an extremely violent person and he was um, stalking me. So I left the country for a while. I went to America for about eight months to stay with my dad. But then my mom, she asked me to come back. So you'd left your dad in the US. We're living in... um, Australia with my mom. mom. My dad visited every now and then. Mm -hmm. And then my parents divorced. Mm. And my mother remarried. And then um, we moved to Happy Valley. And when I came back from the United... Well, before I left the United States, I actually um, uh, had friendships with uh, the Tonkins. Oh, okay. yeah, which I didn't know their religion. I didn't know what religion they were. Mm. Um, but my sister, my stepsister for my mom's new marriage, her boyfriend was a Tonka. And because I guess right. church families, they, they sort of do things together. So mm. when we'd invite him to our family things, his family would come too. His parents, <laughs> his sister, and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend was Simon. And I, and I thought Simon was quite handsome, mm. you know? But then I left, went to America for nine months. He went on his mission. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back from the United States. I, I'd been living alone for seven months with my baby. And I had been miserable. I hadn't spoken to another person except for, you know, um, like a, 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 a mother's group that I went to. Mm-hmm. My mother and I um, had a terrible relationship at that time. It, it wasn't healthy. And I was very alone. I didn't speak to anybody ever so mm. i i i realized that when other kids were starting to talk you know they'd say mom they say all sorts of things and my kid wasn't saying anything and then i asked the doctor about it and he goes well you know how do you talk with her and i said I, I don't talk at all i'm normally my teeth are like sealed shut i don't even eat in front of her because i'm so stressed out making sure everything is exactly right you know mm. i was very uptight 
and worried about being a good enough mom. And um, I had gotten so alone. And I lived on a street where the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, had their one of their halls. So they, they knocked on my door all the time. Sure. And um, I always had a, a great fear of Christianity, like hysterical fear. Um, the Bible in cartoon form looks pretty scary. And in America, you'd see that in like every doctor's office, every dentist office, every childcare center, everywhere you went, there was these cartoon books of the Bible and they're really scary and violent. Yeah. So you say you've got this hysterical fear from these comic books. What were your perceptions of who God and Jesus Christ were then? Well, look, I had a personal belief that God exists because my parents made it clear that they believed God exists. And there were certain religious things that we, we had to be careful of when I was growing up that we didn't do the wrong thing that would offend God. Mm. So there was a few things that we, we always did. Like um, when we took our shoes off, we made sure that the sole of our shoe was never facing upwards because that would be offensive to God to show him the bottom of our shoe. Sure. I don't know why, but it's a really offensive thing. So there's little things like that, you know, and like we uh, didn't, they didn't swear that kind of stuff. So you're, um, you're in this apartment, um, you're for all intents and purposes, completely alone. You're, you're not in completely. a good place with your mum at the moment. Yeah. I didn't mom. have any family because I was scared the other person would find me through my family because I knew he kept, he was still calling them. They had told me that he was still calling them looking for me mm. and he was very dangerous. So I just, I didn't see anybody. I didn't speak to anybody. I was very alone and I was very sad and scared mm. and I was miserable and I wanted my daughter to have a life that was really full of community and love and passion and I'd remembered some things about my dad and he felt a strong belief and I wanted to have a strong belief I didn't have that and I realized that I, my daughter deserved to have that so I prayed do you remember what the words of that prayer were I definitely, I asked him to help me find that peace and faith in religion that my father had. And I wanted to have a sure knowledge of who he was, of what, what he expects from us here and how we can have like the good life here. Like how can we have community and religion and good people around us? I, I wanted, I wanted that. And I was crying and I was very distraught because I actually didn't know if he would hear it or say anything or do anything. Like I didn't know because I really felt like I'd been abused my entire life and I didn't feel like he had anything good left to offer me. I didn't think he cared at all about me, even a little bit. And I really didn't understand how he could care about any, everybody when there was so much misery in the world. So I really thought some bad things about him and the way he was running the world. I was not happy. So you, you say this prayer then. Um, yeah. What happens next? How, how do you come to meet the missionaries? Well, the next morning they knocked on my door and it was Benjamin Woodward. He's the um, missionary that knocked on my door and Elder Jorgensen. Um, and I opened and had a quick look at them. And um, when he said hello, you know, my name is, Elder Woodward, um, I was just wanting to know if you wanted to talk to us about, you know, your faith and our faith and, and if you have a religion. And I said, well, it's just me and my daughter here. And he goes, well, I know a way 
you can be with her forever. And I said, well, I, I surely believe that this world would split in two if anyone tried to split me apart from my daughter. So I don't plan on being separated from my child mm. at, at all without the world actually coming to an end. That's what I said to him. Mm. <laughs> I said the world would have split in two before that would happen. Mm. And he goes, well, I, I know a way that you can make sure. Mm. And he was like, he was like an undeniable truth. That's what I would say. It was like, I knew 100% that he had that spark, that faith that I was looking for, that he knew a truth that I had no idea. I knew nothing. I knew nothing. And that he actually knew stuff. Like I could tell he 100% was filled to the brim with faith and with knowledge. Every other Jehovah's Witness knocked on my door. I just, I begged them to go away. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I do not want anything to do with the Bible. I don't want anything to do with Christianity or religion at all. Mm. I would just be just nice to them and say goodbye. That's right. This is my question. You've had people knocking on your door. For, what, for months. That's right. And, and then a couple of young men rock up, Elder, Elders Woodward and Jorgensen. What was different about these guys? How could you tell? Uh, well, I, I usually people? can tell if somebody is lying. Okay. I can tell if someone's telling the truth because it basically looks like a big neon sign is on their forehead saying, I'm totally full of crap. Mm. And that's what it looks like when someone's lying to me. Like It's just completely obvious and with him it was like he was glowing with a sign saying i'm telling you 100 percent the truth there's just no denying what i'm saying to you mm. and i i didn't have a doubt inside me at all that he 100 was actually not just believed what he was saying but was actually telling the truth and i said to him i can't talk to you now but will you come again and he said yeah but i can't come inside and speak with you, we'll have to speak outside. I said, well, that's okay. I've got a couch out the front. I don't know why. I always thought you yeah, actually have a couch in the front yard. <laughs> so um, so you could sit outside and, yeah. you know, be in the sun and stuff. So I had a couch in the front. So I said, yep, we'll, we'll sit out there. It'll be fine. So and, you, you make this return appointment. Talk to me about what they taught you on the, that first lesson and, and how that went. Well, that first lesson... I said to him, look, I was honest. I said, I've done nothing but yell at God for a really long time. I, I'm really angry and I'm really hateful, you know, towards him because a lot of bad things have happened to me. And I can't, I actually can't understand how I can know he exists, but no, he didn't do anything to stop it from happening to me. So like, how is that possible? Because I actually believe he exists, but I believe he's abandoned us. Like he's abandoned me. Like, and, like, and I honestly don't believe that he was so involved in humans enough to talk to them and get them to write books and Bibles and things and then just disappear. So mm. why on earth would we have prophets and people who actually had relationships with God and told us what he wanted us to know and then just disappear? So I just don't believe that at all. Mm. And, um, and I said, and my dad doesn't believe that we really came from this place that we really came from somewhere else. And I said, well, how is that even a thing? And where, where did we come from if we didn't come from here? And I want to know, you know. And he goes, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. He was so excited I said that. And he goes, it's true. He does want us to have prophets now. And he does. He, we have one. I said, you, you have a prophet? And he goes, we have a real one, like a real prophet. And I went, well, that makes sense. That's exactly what's meant to happen. And I could, I was in shock. And um, I said, well, then I've got lots more questions for you. And he, he couldn't really answer all the questions I had. Um, so he said, I have to go back and do some research and ask some people some questions, and then I'll come back to you with answers. 
so they, they, they start teaching you um, the gospel, you know, in your questions, I heard things about prophets, I heard about the plan of salvation and all of that type of stuff. So what was that period as an investigator like? Was it long, short? Did you feel it like... Was nine had, months. How long, sorry? Nine months. Nine months. And, and I you feel like there were some really sort of momentous experiences that you're like, hey, yeah, I really know this is the true church or did it happen gradually over time? No, I felt like, this was God's church. I did feel like that, but I didn't know if, well, I took a promise made to God very seriously, Mm. like seriously, serious. Like I couldn't make a promise that I wasn't going to keep. So I, I had to believe first that I could make enough changes in my life to join that church. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was hard. And I also had to believe that my family wouldn't turn against me, Mm -hmm. um, for joining the church because they were anti-Christian. So I asked him to give me one the next lesson at my mom's house. Okay. So she can hear what he was saying to me and be comfortable with what I'm doing. That went really well. My mom didn't sit with us. She just kept listening from the kitchen, you know. And then they invited me to go to church or or a cottage evening first, I think. What do you remember from that cottage evening? Well, um, I met the Chambers family um, because, you know, they're down south and that's where I was in Happy Valley. So. Mm-hmm. went to Happy Valley Ward and I went to the Chambers house and they were just such beautiful people and it was so much fun and they were so nice to me and I hadn't been in a room with smiling people in, in a year or more. Mm. It was a culture shock. It was just, yeah, it was quite shocking. And those first few times going to church, what do you recall from them? Uh, first impression was teenagers were smiling and I'd <laughs> never seen that before, ever. I'd never seen a polite teenager say, hello, how are you to a total stranger? Not even, especially the girls. The girls weren't mean. They were, like, I'll tell you, the only people who ever been even a little bit kind to me were my family. Mm. And they weren't always that kind. And every school I went to, I went to 11 different schools. I was spat on and had rocks thrown at me and my hair pulled and I was beaten. It was a very terrible experience. Even in Australia, it was a terrible experience. I'm imagining after having these experiences, you know, you've had a pretty good um, experience learning about the gospel and the missionaries sound like they were wonderful at being patient and, and, and going at your pace and, and, yeah. and teaching you. And then you go to cottage evenings, see these nice people, you go to church. At this stage, you're starting to get a pretty clear picture of, the, of this community that you'd asked. Yeah, and I did not that. think I measured up at all. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> think I measured up to them they all seemed celestial to me like I didn't have that word in my vocabulary at the time but I just thought they were in a league of their own these people and I did not think I fit in at all so I think they felt like I needed a friend because I didn't have any so they said I'm gonna bring you a friend and they they did uh I'm still best friends with her now she's Tracy Thornton. And so Tracy came along to lessons or? Yeah, she yeah. Time with she, came, yep. she came to one of the lessons they were teaching me. And so talk to me about what role Tracy played in your life at that time. and, and how. Did well, you- I fell in love with her straight away. She's a truly beautiful human being, mm. like inside and out, just precious. And um, I couldn't believe she liked me like I had a lot of bad thoughts and they were always saying to me, um, she's just being nice. She couldn't possibly really like you. It was really hard for me because I'd not actually had friends. I made, I made one friend, but she was living in Nigeria at the time. 
Mm. So she moved away from Australia. I was really alone. And um, I'd not really had healthy relationships with other, other people that I wasn't related to. So I find it very hard to believe she really liked me or that anyone really wanted me there. And so you, you talked about taking, I guess, a promise to God really seriously. You, t- you talked about needing to make a bunch of changes in your life. And so how did you arrive at feeling like the time was right to, to get baptized? It took ages. The, the missionaries that had knocked on my door had, had, he got promoted to like being at the office. Like, yeah, assistant to the president or something. Yes. So he was doing that. And, um, he was making sure that missionaries visited me every day, actually. The whole nine months, I had a visit every day. And so the other missionaries, they got a bit eager and cocky, and um, they'd arrange my baptism without telling me. <laughs> and and what, what is this, like four <laughs> months in or something? that they've just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've really had enough waiting. Yeah. Five months in, you know. Honestly, I was going to church. I would go for the full Sunday, both ward meetings mm-hmm. i would go to all the cottage evenings and all the firesides mm-hmm. uh, i i was at church many many times a week and i was like that from the beginning yeah. from the first time i went to church i wanted to be there all the time so they couldn't understand why i wasn't baptized so how did you respond to the spontaneous baptism being organized for you <laughs> they showed up at the door a ward member showed up because they thought i would easily say no to the missionary sure. a ward member showed up to my door and said i'm here to take you to your baptism I said, I'm not getting baptized today. He goes, yeah, everyone's waiting for you. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not going. I'm not. I feel bad for you all, but I'm not going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> I said, would you like to come in and chat with me? She goes, okay. <laughs> she came in and she chatted with me. And um, I explained to her that I said, yeah, it's probably going to happen. But I'm not. I haven't lived it. I'm not. I, see, I believed that I had to completely live like a church member without faltering, sure. meaning everything I did was exactly what I would do if I was a member. Yeah. So I wanted to live like that. And I wanted to live that life of being a church member and then be able to very confidently say to Heavenly Father that I make this promise for the rest of my life until I, after I'm dead, like beyond death. So yeah. I wanted to be sure that I could live like that. So they have this failed attempt to try and encourage, mm. right? Encourage you to be baptized. <laughs> um, yeah. And so how did you arrive at that? What happened when you said... They did it twice. <laughs> they did it a second time. Two months they later. They did it a second time. Yeah, they did. And another, did you go to another... that one? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when do we get to your real baptism? How did that the happen? The one I organized, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell me how that happened. So I went to visit the missionary that knocked on my door. And I said, I think I'm ready to get baptized, uh, but I need you to do it with me. Like you have to baptize me. No one else is allowed to baptize me. You, you are the one who has to baptize me. And so what was the experience of being baptized like for you? What do you remember? Well, it was wonderful to organize it because I had all my friends help me do it. And they're really beautiful people. And we just had so much fun organizing it and um, picking the songs. The songs I picked were the ones used in child's baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite song, still my favorite, um, the one Because I've Been Given Much, that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you, you walk into the water, um, this mission. Oh, my gosh. It was ice cold and it was in October. 
And he, he got in the water and he's like grimacing. I thought he was smiling. He was grimacing. <laughs> his teeth were all showing. All his teeth were showing. And I'm like, oh, is the water like too hot? And he didn't answer me. I went in anyway. I went all the way. And um, it was just exciting and wonderful. Now, I didn't have any, um, I didn't decide or believe that I should get this confirmation in my heart, like straight away, like burning bright light in my yep. heart. This, you know, oh, the Holy Ghost it just landed. I mm. didn't think that was going to happen. And so I was confirmed and I was a bit giddy, you know, like I can't even remember all the words he said because I was confirmed straight away. And um, I was so excited. I was very happy. And um, he asked me to speak and I was stuttering because I can't speak in public very easily. And I just thanked everyone for being there. And then my daughter was blessed straight away. Oh, at your baptism? Um, yeah, my daughter was blessed at my baptism. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. It was. It was absolutely wonderful because we both joined the church at the same time together, her and I. It was really lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Maybe to um, draw your story towards a bit of a close. How has the gospel changed your life, do you think? I can't actually imagine a life without having joined the church. Like I can't imagine what that would have looked like because I was not okay. I really wasn't okay as a, a human. I was falling apart as a human. I just don't believe I could have survived the world alone like that. So um, everything about joining the church it, it actually means like, you know, people say they were born again. Like I believe I was saved from death. I believe I was given an actual life mm. that I, 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 I wouldn't have found my husband. I wouldn't have found my children. I wouldn't have found his family that are now my family. Like mm. that was what I said when we were married, that when I looked out and I just saw his family there, I said, you're my family and I'm so grateful to have you because I didn't have a lot of brothers and sisters. I didn't have a big family. I was so grateful to have them all. So joining the church is everything to me. It's, it's my whole life. And my best friend, the one that moved to Nigeria, she's back, you know, she's been back for uh, 20 years or so. And um, she, sometimes when I tell her all the things I'm doing, the church things, you know, she goes, well, you can't live your whole life for church. I said, yeah. That is how I want to live my life. It's actually supposed to be all of my life. And I'm supposed to live, build my life around that. And, and I, I say that very comfortably, what I want. I really believe that the answers that, and, and the things that we need to be okay in the world, to get through the world, and to, to even have the life we want or be the person we want to be, that this church is that, that way of getting there. Um, the gospel is wonderful, but... Being a member of this wonderful church isn't always easy, right? And um, no. you have struggles with your health. You've got, you know, a, a household full of kids and a business that you're trying to run and all of these sorts of things. You know, it, it, it sounds like in your friend's eyes, it would be easier in many cases to, to stop coming, to stop believing, to stop, to stop trying to live your life in this way. Why do you keep coming? Why do you keep believing and trying to live your life the way that, um, you know, the church teaches you that you should. I believe it's as important to me as breathing is important to me. Like I just can't separate the two. Like I, I don't want to live another life. I don't, I don't want it at all. And it would give me nothing. It would be empty and miserable. Like I can't even imagine it. I can, I talk to God all the time now. And even when I don't understand what's happening or why something's happening or 
I tell him, I expect you're going to give me plenty of answers when I get there because now you can possibly explain things now. Mm. But I don't agree with all the things, but I'm quite happy to wait. Mm. I'm quite happy to wait and see how things go. I don't have to understand everything here on this planet. I don't have to understand half of it. I just have to know I'm on the right path and I'm, I'm, I'm doing living a life I won't regret. And, and that's extremely important to me to not have regret. I want to try to be worthy of going to the temple. I want to try to be worthy of socializing with these people. Sometimes I look around at our ward and see all the people there. And I think, I just can't believe that we actually believe the same thing. Those smart, wonderful, intelligent, talented loving people are part of my group of people you know like i'm part of them this just blows me away sometimes i'm so grateful uh, it's a wonderful thing um and and thank you for taking the time to share your experience and your just passion and and vigor for the gospel it's um been really uplifting to to spend this time with you and to hear about your your coming into the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints yeah, it was the best thing I ever did, really. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Yasmin. Just so touching how she describes the gospel in her life and her association with the members of the Marialta Ward. That's all I've got for you today. Until next time we speak on The Bishop's Office.